my joy to speak to you this morning and to share God's word. It's lovely when uh, God is so clearly at work like that and there's so many uh, words that uh, tie in with what the message God has given me today uh, to, to bring. So, uh, so praise God for that. I'm uh, going to be continuing our series in 1 Thessalonians. We've got one more, uh, one and two Thessalonians, but one more uh, week of 1 Thessalonians. Emmy will finish next week. And then we begin our Prince of Peace series, as you've seen. And then in the new year, so as not to, to rush uh, things, we'll go back into 2 Thessalonians and spend some time there. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm sure all of us have had this, where there are things that we are excited about, that are future events. We think, oh, we're really looking forward to it. It may be Christmas. Maybe you're somebody here and you love Christmas. I know that there's somebody who's had a tree up in the house for a while now, haven't they, Mark? Joy's wherever you are. <laughs> uh, he loves Christmas. It could be a big birthday, and uh, you could be looking forward to that. It could be a holiday. It could be your wedding day, the birth of a child, or a grandchild. And you know what it's like, I mean, and surely even if you can't think of something recently, you can remember being back at school and uh, that summer holiday, how, how you just look forward to it and uh, you just couldn't wait for it to happen. And the, the hours before it, well, they felt like days and the days felt like weeks and the weeks, well, they just felt like years for you waiting for this thing to happen. And whenever you're doing, the moment your mind gets a bit of space, it's drawn back to that thing that you're excited about happening. But it never seems to get any closer, does it? Because you're so excited about it, you're thinking about it all the time. It just seems to be there in the distance. And then, all of a sudden, you're almost shocked that it's actually happening. That time has arrived. Well, as we'll see this morning, that's where the Thessalonians themselves were at regarding the, the, the uh, return of Jesus Christ. They were so excited about it, they constantly filled their thinking. Any moment Christ could return, they were, they were thinking. And uh, so uh, they, even some of them had given up their jobs, as we looked at a few weeks ago, thinking, well, Christ's going to be here any day now. Let's just get on with what he's called us to do. And Paul would say, oh, 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 one of the things he's called you to do is work. Get on with that too. But um, uh, I tell you, for too long... In the West, we've gone the other way. You know, sort of, like, it's a bit like a teenager, nonchalant, oh, you know, Christ might, might return in my life. It might not, you know, who knows? And uh, yes, as we looked at a few weeks back with you, as we looked at different um, evangelism models, if we think in terms of just Christian missions where there's mass salvation, which we want, by the way. I'm not knocking that. We want that. But if you just think along those lines, then yes, we can think another thousand years or so until Christ returns. But if we think in terms of God doing a supernatural work and just using you to save one person this year and another person the next year and the numbers double like that, then within 25 years, that would be the Great Commission Fulfilled, And if God was to choose to do that every month, which he could easily do, that would be within 25 months with just the people in this room, let alone including the billions of Christians that there are. It could be done very quickly. My friends, Jesus is clear in Matthew 24. 
that the gospel needs to go to the ends of the earth and then the end can come. And of course, Matthew 24 goes on to explain that the end includes the abomination that causes desolation. That's not a Marvel character or anything like that, but it's uh, what Paul would refer to in 2 Thessalonians, which we'll look at in the new year, the man of lawlessness. Or John would refer to as the Antichrist or the beast in his writings as a time of great distress, which is cut short for the sake of God's elect. And then Christ returns to gather his church from the earth to judge the wicked according to the well, three synoptic gospel accounts. You see, the early church lived with this view that Christ could return at any moment because it's there in Scripture and because they had that expectation about them. My friends, so should we. We should be building our lives with the view for living for eternity, that Christ could come back at any moment. We're not living for here and now. You know, some of you are actually struggling with things. I'm not talking about mental health here. I'm just talking about other things now. Just make that clear. You're struggling with things because you're building your life here. Yes, you love Jesus. Yes, you want to serve him. But your focus is here. It's not the age to come. And God's getting you ready for eternity. He's saying you need to change your focus this morning. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians together. Uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. I'll read. If you've got your Bibles, have a, have a look at them. Otherwise, it will appear on the screen behind me as well. It says this. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains comes upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Verse 10 there, referring back to chapter 4 that I looked at you last time, asleep being death and awake being alive. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Hallelujah. So starting with verses 1 to 3, the day of the Lord. Paul, in keeping with the words of Jesus to his disciples in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, says, where Jesus says to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by 
his authority. Paul writes to them to say, you have no need for me to write you about this because you know it's going to happen like a thief. It's going to happen like someone uh, in labor. It just suddenly happens. John Stott, writing on this, says, So putting these two metaphors together, we may say that Christ's coming will be sudden and unexpected and sudden and unavoidable. Leon Morris, in his book, says, uh, talking about the return of Christ, he says, It is inevitable, inevitable but unpredictable. You know, uh, little aside there. You know, in the uh, uh, well, some of you may know in the in the uh, uh, in the recent Marvel film where the ba- big baddie Thanos says, "Ah, it is inevitable," and he clicks his fingers or whatever, and then the, the the end comes. Our son thought that word was inedible, so it's inedible. <laughs> so every time I see that word now, it makes me think of Sam saying, "It's inedible," but uh, no, inevitable, but unpredictable. People of the world will be saying, ah, there's security, there's peace. So generally speaking, like it was under Rome, actually, it was fairly peaceful for the normal person. Paul's not here talking about the church, though. He's not saying we will have peace. He's talking about the people of of the world there, the people opposed to God. Yet suddenly, events begin to unfold, and the end comes. My friends, there's a wisdom in accepting our limited knowledge about times and seasons. Just trust God who has all knowledge and get on with the job that he's given us to do. As Jesus goes on in the next verse to say to his disciples, Acts 1 verse 8, when he says, it's not for you to know times and seasons, but it's for you to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. The verse is up there. You see, in fact, anyone... And everyone in history, in fact, who has, who has tried to uh, predict specific end-time dates going forward or linked it to certain things, so far has been proved wrong. So bear that in mind with those that are trying to do that today. That's why I can remember when in the early 90s, about 1998 being a key date, and it was based on all sorts of things with uh, the mark of the beast being you know, on, your, on your wrist and all that sort of thing. I can remember that quite clearly. 1998 was going to be the day. Well, here we are, 24 years later. Didn't quite happen like that. Beasley Murray, in his very uh, detailed book, I recommended a couple of years back, Jesus and the Kingdom of God, he looks at that phrase, the day of the Lord, literally the day of Yahweh in the Old Testament and uh, the early Jewish writings. And he, from his study, comes up with with this conclusion. He says that the day of the Lord is not a calendar day, but an an event in which God acts. It forms the boundary between history and the kingdom of God. It includes destruction and deliverance for them. Deliverance for Israel, how, how they saw it, and destruction for their enemies. Roman peace. And as I said, it was, Roman peace at that time was almost unprecedented in that part of the world. Yes, it was enforced by a rod of iron if you tried to disobey Rome, but for the majority of people, you could travel freely. It was, it was, it was fairly peaceful. They thought that would be replaced with, with a 
Israeli peace, if you like, Pax Israel, to, uh, to uh, uh, put it that way. They thought the Christ would win a swift military victory over the nations and extend his global rule by the sword and by making everyone be forced to submit to him. But the teaching of Jesus and the New Testament reveals that not only is the day of the Lord to be seen as the day of the Lord Jesus, therefore linking Jesus uh, with, with God there, but also that the gospel advancement is not with the sword, but with the preaching of the gospel. There is an overlay, if you like, between history and the kingdom of God for a season. That's the season we're in now. It's not one of, the kingdom doesn't come with forced compliance. You can't force someone to be a Christian. But it comes with a renewed mind and a changed heart. It's a spiritual kingdom, not a physical kingdom at the moment. Interestingly, if you look at Jesus' first preach that he gave in Luke chapter 4, where Luke quotes from Isaiah 61, Jesus himself stops short from the next phrase in Isaiah 61, where it says, the day of the vengeance of our God. Israel would have, at that time, seen that to mean vengeance on their enemies. That's what they were expecting Christ to do. Jesus totally didn't meet their expectations. And also, be fair to say, he didn't meet the expectations of his disciples as well, of what the Christ would do. That is, until they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to help us understand God's ways, just as the disciples did. You see, it wasn't about conquests and subduing nations, but it was about all nations, including Israel themselves, coming and surrendering to Jesus through faith in him. That way that when, the Christ, when Christ returns to make his kingdom a physical reality here on earth, all who have been spiritually born again, all who have surrendered their life to Jesus will get to enjoy the physical realities of the kingdom to come, where there'll be no more sin, there'll be no more suffering, there'll be no more death. Hallelujah. And my friends, you get there, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you get there by recognising that actually we've all done things that are wrong, that offend God, and we need to ask him for forgiveness. We need to recognise that actually he sent his son Jesus out of love to save you and to save me. He lived a perfect life, the only person to do that, but he chose to die on a cross so that he could take on himself willingly take on himself the punishment for your sin and for my sin so that all who put their trust in him can be forgiven, can be accepted, can receive the promised Holy Spirit and can know that just as God raised Jesus from the grave, he will also raise us to be with him forever and ever in that renewed and perfected world. Hallelujah. Amen? And it's when this gospel message is preached to the ends of the earth 
that the end can come. Christ can come and he can wrap up history. So be praying, be going, be enabling the gospel to go to the ends of the earth with all our ability so that the day of the Lord can happen. Verses 4 to 7 talks about children of the light. It says, But we are not darkness, so that these events should not take us by surprise, because we are awake in Christ. When talking about this, John Calvin writes, So when he speaks of sleep or drunkenness, he does not mean natural sleep or drunkenness caused by wine, but insensibility of the mind when we forget God and ourselves indulging in wicked conduct without care. What is the source of this sleep? Surely a profound contempt for God. Hendrickson writes on these verses, to be watchful means to live a sanctified life in the consciousness of the coming judgment day. What it's saying is, don't get distracted by the pleasures or the cares of this world, as Jesus said in the parable of the sower to us. He gives us that example there of the, the, the seed that falls amongst the weed. He's saying, don't get distracted by these things. Live a holy life. Get on with the mission that God has given you and I to do, despite what troubles come your way. We've heard a lot about that this morning already, haven't we? You see, we're living for the age to come. We're called to live, hallelujah, for the age to come. The Bible says that we have a part to play in, in 2 Peter 3.12 in waiting for and hastening the day of the Lord. Guess what, my friends? You can actually hasten, bring forward the day of the Lord. It would almost sound heretical, and it does sound heretical, but it's there in black and white in God's word for us. By our enabling of the gospel to go out to the ends of the earth, we have a part to play in, in the return of Christ. That's why as a church, we're passionate, passionate about the Great Commission and playing our role locally and globally in the church. Not just about locally, it's, we're called to primarily focus here, but we're also called simultaneously uh, to be involved in the nations. If you notice that in, in Acts 1, verse 8, it's not, you know, Jerusalem, uh, then Judea, then Samaria, then the ends of the earth. It's Jerusalem and Judea, and, and. It's both. We're called to be involved in both. And that's how, my friends, we stay awake and we stay sober in this time. We live to please God and we play our part in the great commission of God. From this, from this uh, passage and, and other passages, it's clear that when Christ returns, he will come back to judge the living and the dead. He will, that will be the day, if you like, when the vengeance of God is executed on all the unrighteousness, all the wickedness that has been done on earth. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 to 10, he says this, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord 
Jesus Christ. So they've had the opportunity, but they've chosen not to receive it there. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in the saints. Notice, actually, it's Paul's clear expectation in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 that the church will be here waiting, awake, waiting for Christ to return when Christ returns. You also see that in Matthew 24, in Luke 13, in, sorry, Mark 13, Luke 21, and indeed the parables themselves would imply that the church will go through various trials, but it will continue to grow until Christ returns. It says in Luke 12, Verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Indeed, throughout church history, the church has gone through seasons of persecution. Jesus doesn't promise to take us out of the tribulation, as we've heard this morning, but he promises to be with us in the trials and difficulties of this life. As we'll see in the new year, as we look at 2 Thessalonians 2, look at the man of lawlessness, we'll see there will be a season, actually, where there is a global persecution, if you like, on the church that will spill over into great trouble for the world itself. Because the devil's ultimate aim isn't just to kill Christians or to get Christians. He, the Bible says he's a thief and he wants to steal, to kill, and destroy humanity itself. But praise God, God has overcome the devil. We are more than conquerors, as we've heard this morning, in him. Jesus has overcome the world, and he has come to bring life, and life in all its fullness to his followers, to those who call on his name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, so finally, verses 8 to 11, belonging to the day called these three. You see that triad there of faith, hope, and love. These are key characteristics of of the people that belong to the day, those people who are sober, to use Paul's words. This is what should characterize Christians. You know, we all have those stereotypes. You're not allowed to not allowed to say them anymore unless you're you know, from that particular group. So, you know, as, a, and as an Englishman, you can say, oh, yeah, they are the English, they're, uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, sort of stiff upper lip, you know, a bit reserved, that sort of thing. You can't make the, uh, the jokes about a Welshman or an Irishman as an Englishman anymore. You have to be Welsh or Irish to, 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 to make those jokes. But the, a key characteristic of Christians is that they are full of faith, hope, and love. Christ modelled these three things perfectly. And through his life and death, his faith and love becomes our breastplate, guarding our heart from attacks from the devil. His hope, or because of his life and death, our hope is rock solid. It is impenetrable because Christ has won it for us and it becomes a helmet protecting our minds. Yet as Christ is not only our saviour, he is also our example. We ourselves are called to be growing in faith, hope and love like him because we are children of the day. We are children of the light in Christ. 
We were once destined for wrath, as it says in Ephesians 2. We were by nature, our very nature, children of wrath. But as it goes on to say, but we have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Hallelujah. That grace is transforming us to become more and more like Jesus. Titus says this in, two, uh, in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. Glad you're excited about it, Rob. It's good. Uh, says this. Listen to, listen to this. And listen to It's not only about transforming us, but also getting us ready for the age to come. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, whilst we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearance of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Hallelujah. Grace causes us to long for the return of Christ. It's not just about changing us, and it does change us, and it gives us grace as well when we fail to pick us up again and help us carry on. But it's also preparing you for the age to come. Let it do that, my friends. Let it cause your focus to be drawn back to heaven again and again, to the eternal age where we're going to spend eternity with him. So that whether we're asleep in death, as Paul writes, or whether we're here on the earth when the Lord returns, we will be transformed to be with him for all eternity. This is our encouragement in Christ, my friends. And we ourselves are called to encourage one another. Whatever people are going through, we have that hope, as we've heard this morning, even in the absolute worst of situations, we can have a wonderful hope in Jesus because we have a hope that goes beyond the grave, a hope that is steadfast, a hope, as Duncan said, that nothing can separate us from because of the love of God. And it's been secured in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. My friends, whatever trials come your way, cling on to God. Cling on to that hope. Cling on to that faith because he has the best for you. It may be difficult here and now, but we're not living for here and now. We're living for eternity. And as Paul says, whatever happens to us here and now, the glory that's going to be revealed to us, again, it's Romans 8, the glory that's going to be revealed to us is far outweighs whatever we've gone through here and now. So trust him, my friends. So in conclusion, we should live in the light that the day of the Lord Jesus' return is near. So as children belonging to the day, let us give ourselves to living to please God, doing our all to speed his return despite what trials come our way. Amen? Amen. Can I invite the worship team back up here, please? Can I invite you in the room to stand if you're able to? I'd love to pray for you.
God is here. He's been speaking to us clearly this morning. He's been wanting to change our focus. So we so easily get distracted by the things that are around us. And God is saying, no, no, no. Keep your focus on me this morning. Keep your focus on the glorious age to come, which he is preparing you for. You may be struggling even this morning, as we've heard about, with, the, with your health or mental health. We pray that God heals you. But even if he doesn't, this side of eternity, there is a day when he will wipe away every tear from your eye, where he will bring complete restoration, complete healing to your body. And that day will then go on for all eternity. So whatever you're going through this morning, just, just bring it before God now. Just in the, in the silence of the moment, just bring it before God. Bring it to God. He knows. As Anna read, he wants to wipe away that tear from your eye. Even now, the Holy Spirit is here to minister to you, to be with you. Holy Spirit, come and have your way in these wonderful people here, Lord God, people that you love with an everlasting love. Holy Spirit, come and just meet with them. Meet with each one of us, Lord God. We welcome you. Do that work in us, Lord God. Help us to focus on you. Help us to to choose, as Andy said, to take that yoke, which is easy, Lord God, which is light, Lord God. It's, it's, a, it's a, sorry, it's the light. It's not easy, but it is light. Lord, your way is often the hard way, Lord God, but we know that you're with us in it, Lord God. We know that you are there for us. And Lord, I just pray for each person here, would you come and fill them afresh, Lord? Would you meet with them? Would you bless them? Would you help them to live for you? Lord, help us to glorify you, Lord. Help us to worship you in our everyday life, Lord God. Help us to point people to you. Help us to play our part to speed your return. Lord, have your way amongst us, we pray. We surrender ourselves afresh to you this morning, Lord. It's all about you. If you're here this morning and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, or if you're watching online, you've never done that, just, and you're there and you're thinking, actually, yeah, I, I want to get right with God. I realize I need him. I want this certain hope that whatever happens, I know I've got a hope that is certain. I want, I want that forgiveness. Then just pray this prayer in your heart along with me now. Just, just pray, Lord, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. Please forgive me of all the things that I've done that offend you. And through the power of your spirit, please help me to live the rest of my life for you. Because I want that hope that goes beyond the grave, just as you rose Jesus from the dead. I want to know that when I die, or when you return, I want to spend eternity with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, or it was a recommitment, please come and speak to me afterwards. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to speak with you. If you're watching online, please contact the office. We'd love to help you in your walk with God. But I'm going to yeah, hand over to the worship team now for us to uh, spend some time just worshipping God. But as that draws to a close, if you're here this morning and you're thinking, yeah, there's some things that I'm really struggling with at the moment. There's some, some grief, some trials, 
some difficulties that I'm currently facing. And I just want someone to stand with me and to pray with me. As we draw this song to a close, please come forward to this area here. We'd love to pray with you and just to stand with you as you're dealing with those trials that you have to face. To say God's not a stranger to them, but he wants to help you in them. If you're here and you want healing, if you're here and you want more of the Holy Spirit, again, come forward at the end to over here. We'd love to pray with you this morning. But otherwise, Rob, I'm going to hand over to you.